Okay, we are now on 1 Corinthians chapter 3, right? But before we head into this chapter, let's do a quick review of the central points we have established in the previous two. As some of you know, the title of this series is called Growing Pains. But before we begin to grow, what do we need to do first? We need to get out of the womb, which is we need to be born, born again. So the first central point in chapter one is this. You are born again, people of God. We were sinners. We are now born again in Christ. In him, we have redemption, holiness, and righteousness. Now that we, were, we are born again, now that we are Christian, little babies, guess what's next for a Christian in her journey? Grow. Time to grow. And how do we begin growing as a Christian? Well, like Jesus told, the, told Nicodemus, you got to detox. You have to detox. Whatever you were thinking or whatever preconceptions you had, whatever habits you have, processes, uh, how you make decisions, you got to detox that. Detox. Detoxing old habits. And how do we do that? Well, chapter two is what's next. What's the central point in chapter two? What's the first thing that we have to detox? And that is karma. Remember karma? What you put in is what you get. Well, Paul says, guess what, people of God? You have to get rid of karma. Karma sees Jesus and his cross as foolishness because his cross removes what you and I rightly deserve. What is that? Punishment and sin. Punishment from our sin. And we are given what we don't deserve. Salvation, redemption, and holiness. Once again, karma sees Jesus and his cross as foolishness because his cross removes what we rightly deserve. And that is the punishment. That's the death from, for our sins. But we are given what we don't deserve. Salvation and redemption and holiness. What do we call those two words? You get what you don't deserve is? Grace. grace. What you don't get what you deserve is? Mercy. mercy. Grace and mercy. Karma flip says, what? But Jesus' cross says, no. Got it? Okay, so that's karma. And then you might say to yourself, well, you know, John, like, I don't believe in karma. Well, maybe we don't believe in karma per se, but we kind of do. For example, myself. He doesn't deserve that promotion. I do. I worked hard. He didn't. Or... Wait a minute, he sinned, he like slept around, he drinks a lot. And then on the deathbed, your, your deathbed, you're telling me that just because he prayed the Lord's Prayer and said to Jesus Christ at the last minute and he croaks, he's saved? I worked my butt off in getting my Christian faith going. I worked hard, I served, I preached, I, I went out and loved my neighbors. I even love those who don't even like me. And yet he's saved and I, what? That's karma. You follow? So basically, whenever we feel that we have the language of deserve, seeps into our conversations, that's karma too. But Jesus' cross flips that around. Okay, so now on to chapter three. And we're going to have a video. All right, yay. Um, just an FYI, Brianna's not here, right? Okay, Brianna, don't come back. Yeah, yeah, there's a language thing here that, FYI, PG-13. 
<laughs> I don't want to get into trouble by your parents. I'm like, really? I, I love them. And I really want them to love me back. <laughs> All right, there you go. So it's just a language note because this is the big short. And I know if you've seen this movie, but there is some language there. I tried to find the most tame <laughs> scene. All right, so here you go. Let's go for it. Hi, how are you? Hey, Mr. Bennett. What do we have? Let's see what you got. You smell that? What is that? What? What's that smell? The cologne? No. Opportunity. No, money. Oh, okay. I smell money. Okay. Chris? This is your basic mortgage bond, all right? The originals were simple. They were just thousands of AAA mortgages bundled together, guaranteed by the US government. The modern ones are different. They're private, and they're made up of layers of tranches. The highest level AAA is getting paid first. The lowest rated B is getting paid last, taking on defaults first. Now, obviously, if you're buying Bs, you can make more money, but they're a little risky. Sometimes they fail. Chris? Somewhere along the line, these Bs and double Bs went from a little risky to dog shit. Where's the trash? I'm behind you. I'm talking rock bottom FICO scores. No income verification. Adjustable rates, dog shit. The default rates are already up from 1% to 4%, fellas. And if they rise to 8%, and they will, a lot of these triple Bs are going to zero, too. And that, you're too close, is an opportunity. Okay, you're saying that at 8%, the bonds fail, and we are already at 4%? That's right. If they go to 8 it's Armageddon. Yeah, that's right. How come nobody's talking about this? You're completely sure of the math. Look at him. That's my quant. Your what? My quantitative, my math specialist, look at him. You notice anything different about him? Look at his face. That's pretty racist. Look at his eyes. I'll give you a hint. His name's Yang. He won a national math competition in China. He doesn't even speak English. Yeah, I'm sure of the math. Actually, my name's Jiang, and I do speak English. Jared likes to say I don't because he thinks it makes me seem more authentic. And I got second in that national math competition. So you're offering us a chance to short this pile of blocks. How? With something called a credit default swap. It's like insurance on the bond. And if it goes bust, you can make 10 to 1, even 20 to 1 return. And it's already slowly going bust. 10 to 1, 20 to 1? No way. And no one's paying attention. No one is paying attention because the banks are too busy getting paid obscene fees to sell these bonds. But wait, you are the bank. I mean, you work for the bank. I bet your margins are pretty nice and fat. Let's not talk about my margins, by the way. Being nice and fat, that's a nice shirt. Do they make it for men? Aren't you the bank? I work for the bank. I don't think like a bank. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right? Let me put it this way. I'm standing in front of a burning house, and I'm offering you fire insurance on it. A's, zero, B's, zero, double B's, zero, triple B's, zero. And then that happens. What is that? 
That's America's housing market. So basically, if you've seen that scene, like uh, the more he takes the blocks away at Jenga, the whole thing collapses, all right? So I just want to speed it up. But uh, if you want to watch the movie, it's, uh, it's quite good. Just, uh, um, it's on Netflix or something. Just, uh, it's called The Big Short. It's about the 2008 financial crisis. Almost forgot the year. All right. What are, so the question for us is, after watching this video, is what are you building? What are you and I building? Will it endure through trials, such as Paul would say, the test of fire? Will it be refined and polished, as Paul mentioned, on the day of final judgment when Jesus comes again? Or will it crumble and vanish like a bunch of subprime mortgages? Here's the central point that I would like to unpack this morning as we go through chapter three. The building that lasts, Paul would say, is built on one, Jesus's foundation. The building that lasts also builds on two, out of Jesus's mindset. What I mean by out of is the material, out of Jesus's mindset. And three, the building that lasts has to resemble him. All those three need to be met. The question is, you would probably ask is, what is this building then? What is this building that encompasses all three? Let's begin with chapter three. Chapter three, verse one to four. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Paul called the Corinthians babies. Now, why would he be so mean? How are the Corinthians babies? Because the Corinthian church was thinking worldly. How? By being jealous of each other. How can they be jealous of each other by following either Apollos or Paul? Well, can anyone think of, well, the picture's already up there. Can anyone think of what it means to be jealous of two camps, the Canucks and the Calvary Plains, right? For example, Calvary Plains, Edmonton, whatever. One side was Team Paul, and the other side was Team Apollos. Somehow, like what I said last week, these Corinthians were able to quantify scores, okay? So quantify their allegiance. They seem to have figured out a point system, all right? So when Paul baptized someone or in Turkey or planted a church, his fans in Corinth would go, yes, right? Point one, you, Team Apollos, right? Losers. But when Apollos plants a church, when the, and then he baptizes people, or when, he's, when his church has become big, what does Team Apollos say? in your face, Team Paul, right? And you know what the funny thing is? It all happened in the same building. These guys were in the same church. It's like having a PowerPoint slide live, and then they're, during their worship service, these points are coming, like, coming in live stream, going ding, 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 right? And then you guys are separated. One side is Team Apollos, and the other side is Team Paul. And then they're actually going at each other with glare, saying, hey, look at me. Look at our team, right? Here's an example. Okay, I said this before at AGM, I'm gonna say it again because I'm gonna rub it in. I'm a Los Angeles Kings fan, all right? I've been a fan since I was age 10, and now I'm 40. Every time the Canucks 
make it further in the playoffs throughout our years, throughout my years of cheering the Dead Kings, my friends who were Canucks fans would actually mock me. You know, they would like laugh at me, they would mock me, they'd go like, why are you cheering for these guys who have no, absolutely no goalie, right? We had, the Kings had three to five year slumps with nothing. We didn't even get into the playoffs. That all stopped in 2012 when they won their very first Stanley Cup, which Vancouver will never, ever see in their lifetime. All right? You're looking at a guy who boasted, mocked, danced a jig, and made fun of all his friends. All right? I just basically said, in your face. Right? Now, let's do another example. LinkedIn. Who's on LinkedIn? People are on LinkedIn? Okay. Isn't it cool? to be linked in to famous people. Here's an example for my, me and myself personally. It's even more cool if a famous person wants to connect with you. I had a connection that I didn't invite to connect with a person named Ivanka. She, yeah, cool, eh? She was, and she is now my first connection on LinkedIn. Notice my tone. She is my first connection with LinkedIn. Notice my tone. You see? The Corinthians, we got to remember, like if you're doing a study on Corinthians, you got to remember that the Corinthians are just like us. Very similar. Okay, these guys are career oriented. They're smart. They, were, they studied in smart schools and they're smart socially. They know how to work a crowd. They could be called the best networkers of the round. They know how to work tables. They know that when they have to get into a building, they'll check the guest list, sneak in and check the guest list and then aim for those tables to chat. Well, kind of like us, right? But like us, they were building something other than their foundation in Jesus. What were they building? Themselves. Their stock value, I would say. Make no mistake though, they're Christian, remember? G, uh, Paul said in the beginning of the letter, he said, identify them as sisters and brothers in Christ, followers of Christ, right? However, what was wrong with them? They were using Jesus they were using Christianity as what uh, the video would say, a tranche, just a portion. They would just use a portion of Jesus to put it into their stock value, their life, themselves. They would use Christianity as just like a morale booster. So it's almost like saying, hey, look, world, I'm a Christian. So what does that supposed to mean? I'm a good person. I'm morally upright. I can be trusted. I'm honest. They would use that as their leverage. You follow? They would put Christian on the resumes and then suddenly hoping that that would actually boost up their stock value, their careers. Not really happening today, but you know what I mean. Something very similar. And so when they say, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, what they are really saying is, I'm following a winner. I'm following a very spiritual person. And guess what, since I'm following, guess, who, guess what? I'm following a leader that I'll be influenced by. So if I'm following a winner in the spiritual realm, in the Christianity game, then I'm a more Christian than the other person. I'm more Christian than they are. And it's happening inside the same building. It's happening inside their own church. I'm more Christian than that guy is. Paul is telling the Corinthians then, detox that. This is worldly thinking because if you don't detox it away, you're still babies. Notice what he said 
when he said babies. Doesn't that fly in the face of the Corinthians then? Here they are trying to build up their stock value. Here they are saying, I'm following the winner so that I am more mature. And then Paul says, flips it and says, by doing that, you are still babies. That's why he said that. That's why he said you are still drinking milk. It's because you're thinking that Christianity is only a portion, a tranche in your life. You're just using that as a little building block for your stock value. That's the milk. And that's why he said babies. Because they thought that doing that will make them more mature. All right, let's go on. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. Now he's saying that it's not because of Apollos' amazing preaching that people are coming to know Jesus. And it's not because of Paul's amazing evangelism that people are coming to know Jesus. It's only God who makes things grow. You see, I get it. Here's an, like, I've been trying to, um, Rosanna knows this, I've been trying to make things grow in our, in our home, you know, like plants, orchids, <clears throat> goldfish that tend to float on its own. You know, like, um, yeah. So, I, you, know, I, you know, I follow the instructions. You know, everything to the manual, it says water, it says to clean up their, you know, um, what's it called, fish bowls, right? Feed them regularly, but they still just belly up, literally, <laughs> like they belly up. What's going on, right? It's a great example telling me that only God can sustain life. I could do all I can, but only God can sustain life. We could do all we can to nurture this orchid that we have on top of our toilet, but it can only be God that makes it grow. You agree? Right? So God does all the work. He does all the conversions and growth. We can never take any credit for somebody else's conversion. We can never take any credit for somebody's baptism. We can never take any credit for people coming to know Christ. It's God and only God, only by his spirit. I always say that conversion is not in our business because we don't have a pay grade for it. Of course not. We're not the ones who died on the cross. All right. Next. So don't deceive yourselves, Paul says. Check, your, check it out. Don't deceive yourselves. You cannot say that you can give us any credit. We're just merely human beings just like you, servants of God just like you. So he literally put everybody on ground zero, you could say. Right? No one's above the other. And now we start. Paul says, okay, now we begin. Now that we are all equal, so what are some of the things that we need to detox and Paul begins, first, he says, check your foundation in life. Number one, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Let's be true to ourselves and ask, first, is Jesus the center of our lives or is there something else that we are building our lives on? How do we know that? How do we know if Jesus is in the center of our lives? Well, if we could take away Jesus out of your life right now, can you still wake up next morning? Most of us would say yes. Can we still go on in our lives without Jesus? Right? That's the question. Or 
vice versa, let's look at money. If I took all the money out of your accounts, liquidated everything, you have zero. Can you survive the next day? That's the question. If Jesus disappeared, can you still keep going? If this A, money or whatever, disappears, can you still keep going? Ask ourselves of that. That's, that's just a very simple question that Paul is asking. Who is your foundation or what is your foundation first and foremost? Next, so what is it that we should be building then on top of this foundation? If it is Jesus, what are we supposed to build on top of Jesus, on top of this foundation? In 1 Corinthians 3, 12, 15, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. What in the world is this passage? Have anyone read this and asked yourselves, what does he mean by that? We're talking about building here, right? We're building something on the foundation of Jesus. What does he mean by this? Gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Well, first, he said, Paul says, what should we be building? that's not our stock value. Well, if it's not our stock value, if it's not our bottle of personal ambitions or ideal photogenic families, what should it be? What should it be that doesn't put up into smoke? It has to be something about silver, costly stones, and gold, right? Agree? It's not the wood, hay, or straw, because that would go poof, right? That's quite obvious. It's about something about the silver, costly stones, and gold. What is that? Well, let's go on then. Verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Okay, hear that. We are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So what are we supposed to build? Temple. But who is that temple? Us. We are. So what are we supposed to build? Disciples of Jesus. Okay, how does Paul define temple? People of God, Christ followers, Christians, people who have Jesus' mindset, people who have the mindset to preach the good news and the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' mindset. We are to do the same because we build out of Jesus' mindset. We have Jesus' foundation. If Jesus is weaving his spirit in every fabric of our lives, then what should come out of us then? What should we desire to build? Disciples of Jesus. Christ followers. On Christ's foundation. Out of Christ's mindset. You follow? This is what we are to build. That's the silver, gold, and costly stones. It's actually God's temple. And God's temple is us. And he wants more of those Stones for that temple, those costly stones, those gold, to build his temple. And that's us. He wants more disciples of Jesus, more followers of Jesus. That's what he meant to build on top of Jesus' foundation, on, out of Jesus' mindset. And we, that resembles Jesus. It's God's temple. Us. Christ followers. Let's move on. Verse 18. Do not deceive yourselves if any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age. 
you should become fools so that you may become wise, for the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is of our God. So the main point, the central point is, what is it that we are to build that lasts? What is it that we are to build that is built on the foundation of Jesus, out of Jesus' mindset, and resembles Jesus? Disciples of Christ, Christ followers. I want to conclude with a short little story. My thought is, okay, I'm a dad, right? It's by default when you have a child, you're a dad. Okay, so here's a, she's, she's five years old. Her name is Annabelle. Now, just something, when she turned two years old, I already started her with flashcards. You know, those word flashcards? Because, what's this one? Wrong! <laughs> no, try again. Sound it out now. You know, she's only two, <laughs> right? And then I go, no, you're wrong. Lose point, okay? No, no, they didn't know you can't eat dessert right now. You have to, like, you know, do these couple flashcards. She hates them, right? But we do them every day, like, even on the weekends. The only time she has a break is Sabbath, is Sunday. Right, because daddy's too busy to run the flashcards in front of her, right? I'm up here, she's like, you know. And uh, oh yeah, there was one time when she said, daddy, like when she went into kindergarten, she goes, daddy, I like this school better than your school. <laughs> it's like, you know, like I really do. All right, anyways, so I, these flashcards, I advanced her too, right? She finally completed all 60s, no, how many cards were there? 78, I, I don't know. There was 78 cards, 78 to 80 cards. And at the back, there's sentences. So I say, hey, that's cool. Now I get to like, have her read sentences, too. So I flash her with those ones. And she completed those. And now, for being, I'm very proud of her, she could now pick up any book and read it. Right? She could like, just sound like, <laughs> see? You know what's going on here in my heart? Yes. All right. Now, then I went and said, let's do math. Right? And now she, is, now she knows how to add three-digit numbers together. She knows how to carry, she knows how to deduct, she knows how to carry the one, whatever, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm married to a wife of reason. So, one day, uh, I was telling you know, Rosanna, hey, look what Annabelle can do now, right? She's going to make it to Stanford with full scholarship. That's my goal. Why Stanford? Because it's in California, because it's warmer than this, <laughs> right? And that's, that's why I wanted her to go to Stanford, so I could visit her, you know, and then just, you know, be in the, you know, and then I go, I was just dreaming of which school, Ivy League or whatever school she wants it. And I go, no, it has to be full scholarship because I ain't paying for it. You know, so, uh, so I said, look it, she's on her way. All she needs to do now is play field hockey, you know, <laughs> you know to get the scholarship, right? Then my wife, my loving wife, always has the, you know, the voice of reason. You know that voice that always says no? That's my wife. You know, so it's like, um, she would say, honey, what are you trying to build, right? What are we trying to raise? Who are we trying to raise, right? And then she gave me, a, she, she popped a really good question because really, who are we trying to build up, right? Our job is to build a disciple, a fall, Christ follower of Jesus. Our ultimate goal for our daughter is supposed to be, she's supposed to love Jesus. We're supposed to be parents that would show her an example of what a Christ follower would be. What would a father who is supposed to be a Jesus follower look like? What would be a woman 
a Jesus follower of a Jesus follower look like? Our jobs as parents are not to make her successful in world standards. Our job is not to have her achieve everything that the world wants her to achieve. Our job is to make her a disciple of Jesus, a lover of Jesus. And I always catch myself, even till now, too many times, I admit. Like one time after school, I said, did you learn anything? And she goes, we played. <laughs> okay, that's it, we're leaving the school. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I catch myself, right? She's only in kindergarten, right? And I always have to ask God for forgiveness and his grace and mercy again and again. Because I always say, what am I building? Will Annabelle be built up based on human standards? The foolishness, like Paul says? And here's what that really hit me home. You know that whole thing about burning up? As a parent, as we raised, as a parent myself, uh, or as yourself who may not have kids, but you're trying to reach out to your friends uh, to, make a, to have them follow Jesus. At the end of the day, when Judgment Day comes, when Jesus comes and culminates everything, I think this is what Paul means by loss, that severe feeling of loss is when I go up there and I meet Jesus and I don't see my daughter. I think that pain that uh, Paul is trying to say here in that whole testing of fire is not necessarily saying, oh, I'll heat it, right? I think he's saying this. You know those folks that, whom you love, the child that you have raised, or the friend that you have loved so much, or the family member, and you're there and you realize that they're not. The pain of that loss. Of, because he said that what? That everything will be burned up except for that man, the person who is saved will still be there, right? He said that. But then that person will experience deep loss. And what does that mean? It's not about our material goods or stuff, it's about the people. The people we love, the people who we love, that they're not there. They're not there. And that for me, as a father of a, of a daughter, if my daughter's not there, that's loss. That's pain. I'm there, but she's not. So, we, so to close, what are we building? Or who are we supposed to be building? Has God impressed in your heart a person or persons in your heart to reach? Person, a person whom you love, who you desire to see Jesus have a relationship with him and have a love for him so that at the end, when the day does come, that you and I will see them there and not have to endure that sense of loss and that pain that comes with it. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for how you spoke through Paul to the Corinthians, but really to us as well. As we reflect on this question of who are we building or what are we building, may you impress in our hearts visions of who it is that we are to reach out to, to pray for, so that your spirit will move them to follow you. But I also pray for my sisters and brothers before me that we live a life as Christ followers so that our testimony, the way we live, the, what we say, the, the things that we desire, Lord, our testimony can be believable, that people will be drawn to the, our testimony, 
that people would say, oh, I want what you have. What is it? And we would faithfully say, we have Jesus, and you should have him too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.